Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Media. I'm your host, Juliana Martins. Today, we're having a conversation that goes into a topic area I'll be the first to admit it's not my strong suit. Wall Street is not something I claim to know a ton about, but you know how this show works. Of course, my guest knows all about it. He also knows about pivoting. Mark Moran went from a Wall Street investment banker to a reality TV nice guy on HBO's F-Boy Island and is now blazing his own trail with the financial parody account and business, Liquidity. How did his whole life change over the course of last year? You're about to hear all about it, so let's go Behind the Media with Mark Moran. All right. Hello, hello, hello. I'm so excited to have you on the pod today, Mark. Well, thank you so much for having me, Juliana. It's a pleasure. Of course. You don't know this, but I have some some people that are really excited to listen to this episode. <laughs> My sister's boyfriend being one of them. He is, shout out to Brett Burns. He is a finance bro in Chicago. He works for, I get it wrong, Houlihan and Loki. Houlihan and Loki. Yep. Yep. He works there, and I, my sister told him that I'm interviewing you, and he hopped off. He sent me questions to ask. <laughs> amazing, amazing. He's really, really excited. So for all the Bretts out there, you're about to just make people's days today, Mark. Fantastic. Let's do it. So, But before we do that, I mean, I want to know how you got cast for HBO's F-Boy Island. Yeah, so that is a very entertaining story. I uh, I was on Hinge around this time last year. I think it was late December. And I matched with a woman who uh, she goes, you know, hey, look, I don't live in New York. I actually live in L.A. And I have a boyfriend. But have you ever thought about doing reality television? What? And initially, I thought it was like for The Bachelor or something. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going on one of those things where you have to fall in love in real life on TV. That No way. And she was like, no, it's actually like a parody show. The only details I can tell you are that it's on a major streaming service. And I was like, look, I'm not interested. And so she came back a few days later and then was like, okay, they told me I can tell you a few more details if you sign this NDA. So I started learning more and more about this show that at the time was called Untitled Dating Show. And so I was starting to get a little bit interested because it was like a a parody of kind of Bachelor in Paradise. They said there was a very well-known host. And I was like, all right, you know, this is is something we're in the middle of a global pandemic in New York right now. I'm going on uh, outdoor uh, dining only dates where my toes are freezing by the end of it. A trip to uh, what was an unknown Caribbean island sounded great. So started talking more and negotiated my contract a little bit with them. And then I made the final decision probably like the beginning of February and then had to fly out February 17th to the Cayman Islands for two months. So it was something that I still didn't really know I was going to do it up until the last minute and then did it, had a phenomenal experience. I still didn't know the name of the show the entire time that we were on it. No and way. Then, yeah. And so I don't know if you know um, the Instagram page Demois. Yeah. So one of my... Yeah. Yeah. One of my friends sent me when I was in quarantine because I do quarantine for two weeks there. So she sends me uh, a screenshot of one of their stories. And it's like, there's apparently an island somewhere where they're filming a show of just F boys. And I was like, oh my God, if the show is named F boy Island, my parents are going to kill me. And so then, you know, go on the show. And then ultimately we found out the show came out, um, late July. And so we found out kind of like in June. And I remember calling my mom and being like, yeah, so the name of the, the name of the show is and she was like, No, I had to go on uh, Urban Dictionary to figure that one out. But now oh we uh, we laugh about it. So do you think that 
if you knew the name of the show before going, you would it would have like changed your mind. Yeah, I definitely would not have gone on it if I had known the name of the show. I mean, I knew kind of the basis of it, that there were going to be 12 nice guys and 12 mm-hmm. what they described as bad guys on it. And I was like, look, you know, as long as I'm portrayed as a nice guy and that's what I can be on it, that's fine. Doesn't seem like a downside. But I think now it's it's a hilarious like part of my life that is just so funny to me that I was on that show. And I think it's now just part of my journey here. So I don't I don't regret it at all. I think actually, as one of the producers said to me when I was throwing a temper tantrum, he's like, look, you're going to look back on this and totally agree with me and tell me that I was right. A few weeks after the show premiered, I called him up and said, you know what? You were right. I I love the name of the show. It's hysterical. That's so funny. Fun fact over here. I got a DM to do F boy or yeah, to do it was either F boy Island or that new like girl one they're doing. Uh Uh-huh. Is it F girl Island? I have no idea. But I got a DM from somebody and they were allowed to say the name now. And so Uh they said, like, we're casting for it. Can we have a call? And I declined everything just because like (laughs) that name is like so daunting whenever like it's it's ridiculous it's ridiculous it's so ridiculous like it's a great show but it is so crazy so i i kind of agree with you with that one i would be so hesitant if i knew the name beforehand if i were you but did they give you the choice of being a nice guy or an f boy or were they just like f boy Nice guy. Yeah, so I I was I think I was the last person cast for it. So I realized like pretty quickly on that they were kind of looking for a certain type of individual. And so there's never really any doubt of what I would be cast as. Okay. And I think that also gave me a lot of kind of negotiating power in it because it's like I knew like there there were a lot of things that I like I, I went to law school. I'm a licensed attorney, so I would just come back with contract edits and like that would be my fun in the evenings when I was done banking. And so I'd come back to them with these things and they'd be like, well, we're not going to do that. We've never done that. And then I just wouldn't reply. And they'd come back a few days later and be like, okay. And then at that point, I realized like, all right, I got him on this. So, you know, I felt pretty protected in going into it. But it's just it's hysterical at this point. Like, it seems like it was years and years ago to me because so much has happened since. But I I made great friends on the show. It was a phenomenal experience. Like we have this hysterical F boy island group chat on Instagram that is just nuts. It could be a TV show itself. That's amazing. I loved what you said there earlier. I don't know why it was funny to me because it's like the completely opposite of how I would find an enjoyable time. And so I always love hearing other people's perspectives. Like, yeah, when I was done banking, you know, for fun, I was just looking at contracts. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) That's so funny. The day before you got that hinge message, what was your day-to-day life? What did you do before FBoy Island? Yeah, I was working in investment banking I had, I had not recently, but I had dated a girl for a little bit prior to that. So we broke up in like August or so. So I'd been single for a few months. And then the day before I'd gotten my bonus at work. So I was like, okay. And it was interesting because at work, they were like, hey, look, you know, like we think you're great here, like on track for promotion stuff. But have you ever thought about doing media and like being a financial correspondent. So I started thinking about no that. No way. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I mean, like banking's a great job, great training, but uh, I was kind of bored with it and felt like I kind of got everything I needed to out of it and got my bonus. This happened. I was like, if I go do this, I can always go back into investment banking. But I feel like by doing this and putting myself out there in a public light, I'll be forced to really kind of take more risks and at that point in time, well, shortly thereafter, like the rise of Wall Street bets happened and all 
this stuff happened with more people getting involved in the stock market. And so I kind of looked at financial media and was like, you know, you have your main players like CNBC, Fox Business, Bloomberg, et cetera, and that there seems to be a massive opportunity to really target Gen Z millennials and people who are not currently represented, uh, you know, like the Wall Street elites are. And so mm-hmm. I was like, look, maybe I'll go on the show, I'll see if I like TV or not, and then just see where it goes. And here we are. Yeah. I mean, you have like a great T I'm seeing you visually right now. Like you have a great like on air presence and, and composure. So I think you'd be so good at that. Thank you very much. So what was it like transitioning then from corporate businessman to TV eye candy? Yeah. So it, it was funny because I had I had two weeks of quarantine where I was working up until the day before that we had to start going on camera. So I sent my laptop back. And I still don't know who actually paid for the DHL shipping from the Caymans because I kept getting invoices and like, I'm not paying for that. So someone ultimately paid for the laptop to get back to New York. But I really worked up to the last day. And while I was doing that in quarantine, I was kind of developing a business plan as well. And so, I mean, I don't watch reality TV. I tried to watch a few seasons or a few episodes rather of The Bachelorette. And I was like, oh, my God, what the hell did I sign up for? Like, This is... (laughs) This is it. And it's just it's hysterical because it's like when you go through an experience like that, where for six weeks for us, so it's two weeks of quarantine, six weeks of filming that you don't have your phone for. I mean, I had a burner phone, honestly, but it's not like you could use that at, at most times. So I hit it in the sole of my shoe so no one would find out. And so like you're removed from your phone and you're just having like organic interactions with people that you normally wouldn't like for me being surrounded by like a bunch of white guys on Wall Street all day. It was great Mm -hmm. to go into this atmosphere where it was just like a bunch of different diverse personalities. We're just sitting there having these like phenomenal conversations, most of which like aren't captured on air at all. But like the stuff that we talked about, like I remember one time, like it's just like six of us and we're all in these like bunk beds we had to sleep on. And and I was like, you look, you know, like as a white guy, we're in a corporate job. Like I'm supportive of BLM, but like I don't have time to go, you know, protest in the street in the middle of the day. Like how would you guys advise me to support? And it's like, you know, just through listening and hearing different people's perspective, it was such like a transformational experience that I think like a lot of, what pushed me to go on reality TV was I had just turned 30 and I kind of felt like, okay, do I really like the person that I am? Mm -hmm. And I'd always felt like there, you know, I wanted to do something different, something more. And that if I had to go kind of put myself out there, that that would be the kind of launching point for that. And so it was really something that just like, I felt like gave me a whole reset on my perspective and my view on life and just was like, all right, Hey, you put yourself out there now, like it's time to make something of it. That's amazing. And I mean, nothing humbles you more, I bet, than seeing yourself on reality TV. You probably <laughs> exactly. like figure out your flaws where you can grow and, and do some growing, especially on like a, a dating show. I feel like everybody that goes on The Bachelor, they see what their their points to work on are. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny because it's like, you have so much time to think about, you know, how you're going to come across and like what type of personality that you'll be. And like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're being nudged in different ways by directors and stuff. So it's like they would always tell me 
that I was kind of like the Jim Halpert character of the show. And it's like, look, like I didn't come on this show to find love. Like there's, I mean, the, the women are great. I think CJ's phenomenal, but like, you know, it's, it, it was just more something where it's like, this is going to be a little bit of a comedy show for me. Yeah. And like, in looking back, it's just like the edits hysterical. It could, it could have gone a bunch of different ways. And it's just like, I, I mean, I watched all of the episodes of F boy Island. So that is the first reality TV show that I've gotten through. And wow. I'm really looking forward to, uh, to watching season two and seeing how it changes and the different personalities that they bring in. I am interested to watch as well. Who did your wardrobe? Where's that green pink suit from? <laughs> so that that's a funny story. I had to go get a like I, they sent us a packing list and they're like, you need like 10 bathing suits. And I, I had one bathing suit. So I rented a car and I'm doing this like literally the day before and I'm driving to I went to like Darien, Connecticut at the sports shop there, got some stuff. Then I had to go over to this mall in New Jersey. I forget which one. And I walk past the Vineyard Vines. I'm like, okay, let me like take a stop in there, see what there is. And I see this just ridiculous looking blazer because I'm like, this. I know this show's on the beach. It's going to be hilarious if I show up wearing a suit. And so I had like a linen suit that my suit guy got me like right in time. And then I see this just ridiculous like Lily Pulitzer like knockoff looking blazer. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. And I try it on. It fit. It was like two thirds off. I got it for like 75 bucks. And then once uh, we were kind of like doing our our intros, we had to bring a few uh, different pairs of clothing and like send pics all during quarantine to the producers and stuff. And they're like, yeah, that's the one you're going to be doing the interviews in. So it's just it's absolutely hysterical to me that that was kind of the statement piece, if you will. That's so funny. So you really were going in like so comedic. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, to. I mean, you know, it's like t taking that stuff seriously. It's like, you know, I'm not going to go on TV to find love. I don't think anyone yeah. does. And so I was like, look, I'm going to have a good time regardless. Maybe I fall in love. That didn't happen. And, you know, but I had an absolute blast and told a bunch of bad jokes, which I think are definitely representative of my normal jokes. And then, uh, you know, took it from there. So... You're telling me you didn't bring a Patagonia vest to F-Boy <laughs> Island? Are those still in? I mean, that's always... I've always felt like that was too much of like oh. a stereotype finance, finance guy thing. <laughs> yeah, so I, went, I would usually go with the barber vest, but I do have a few Patagonia ones in my closet. But definitely, uh, I did not bring that to the Caymans. That would have been funny, though. That would have been so funny if you were like the typical finance bro. <laughs> but the suit was awesome. Unfortunately, though, you were eliminated early on for being too darn nice, maybe know, joking around a bit. So after the show ended, yeah. uh, did you like head back to your normal life? Yeah, so I, I came back and like throughout the show, I kind of approached it as like, all right, I'll know when this is done if I want to go back into banking or what. And so I talked with some people in media prior to going on the show about like what my vision was for creating kind of a new financial media company. And so I was approaching it like I had kind of two different paths. I was approaching it of doing it myself. And then I was also talking to various different networks about starting as a correspondent. So like, you know, a traditional CNBC, Fox Business type mm -hmm. thing. And I started to realize like, you know, you're working with agents who they don't really like no one really understood my vision except for certain people in media who had all kind of done very different things. And like, I think... The only kind of relatively similar company that would be close to what my vision was would be Barstool. 
And I think like that's a, you know, it's a, they're a a groundbreaking and trailblazing institution for what they've done, Mm -hmm. but there's all, they're also a very flawed institution. And so that wasn't something that I felt I wanted to be associated. I mean, could easily go work there, you know, start a newsletter, do all that and take it from there. But I wanted to create something that was a representative voice, but in a way that for us at Liquidity, one of the things that we want to do is be able to give women in the workplace a voice, start getting more diversity in there to be able to have all of these kind of voices that historically haven't been represented in finance to Mm -hmm. have more of a platform. And so I was thinking about really more so going about it myself and then Liquidity, which is a uh, historically has been an anonymous meme account run by this guy who we can refer to as Lit. And he started the account about five years ago. It had probably about like 550,000 followers at this point in time, but he shared a photo of me from F-Boy Island. And so then we started a dialogue in the DMs and kind of took off from there. And we met one day in Central Park started talking about like what our vision for the future of financial media was. And we had pretty much the exact same vision. And so what I started thinking was like, okay, maybe we could do some type of licensing thing where we're doing a co-branded show that I would be the host of since he's anonymous or something of that nature. And then the more we talked, the more we got along, we're both the same age, uh, have a lot of uh, similarities in our background. And I was like, look, like, you know, you have this following that you built what if I were to come on and we were to take this and grow it into a full media company? He's like, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. But being anonymous, that's tough for me. And I was like, okay, I'll come on as the public face. We'll start with a podcast because that's a, a medium that will allow him to... So we use like a voice shifter for him. So oh we gosh, even cover up it. his voice. Yeah, it's it's hysterical. So we cover up his voice and it allows like the audience to get to know us. But then we have a lot of major plans to really kind of take this and go into other mediums and just continue to grow and ultimately realize the goal that I guess I had a few months ago, I mean, a year ago or so at this point and kind of make that come to reality. But I think the the best part of it is it's like, you know, with me, he gets a personality and then I get a following immediately an audience to target. So I think it's been, uh, it's been going great so far. So it seems like you kind of have, or you kind of were doing like a PR strategy. Like you had a whole kind of media media strategy to mm-hmm. do the podcast first and then you're doing this and then you're doing this. You have that all lined up. So where did you learn that? So that's actually an interesting question. I feel like in reflecting on that last year in September, so I ran track in college at William & Mary and the track team was cut. And that was something that I had always said to myself, you know, look, if if that were to ever happen, then I would be kind of the person that would stand up and not allow that. And so I took personal offense when this team and six others at William Mary were cut for various reasons and kind of worked with a few other alumni. And we pushed back on this decision that ultimately we figured out there was plagiarism involved by the athletic director in terms of her reasons for she basically copied directly a press release from Stanford that her mentor at her previous job had released a few months prior. And so there's, yeah, so we found that then ultimately I kind of just like, I was single at the time. So I just, when I was done working, I would just go into Excel, go through all of the publicly available financial filings for William and Mary's athletic department, figured out that she was kind of misallocating resources and basically manipulating what our endowment for a track team was. So when you manipulate restricted fund endowment, that's federal fraud. And so we brought that out. 
And in this whole process, I was talking to various journalists in Virginia Mm -hmm. and kind of like realizing like, you know, okay, I have like this piece of news. I'm going to throw it to this reporter here. This big one I'm going to take to David Teal at the Richmond Times-Dispatch. This one goes here. This one's going to the Washington Post. And like you realize the power of all of these kind of different levers. So there was something I kind of learned organically. And then I think, too, I, I dated a girl who worked at Fox. And so one time in like the beginning of quarantine... She was like, hey, I got like this big opportunity at work, but I got to stay up all night, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, I got a lot of work too. It's like a Friday night. I'll I'll stay up too. So it's like 4 a.m. And she says, hey, uh, how do you word this? And I'm like, oh, X, Y, Z, whatever. And five minutes later, I hear that exact phrase come across the TV. And I'm like, holy shit. I turn around and I see her on the computer with like this kind of like black screen. And she's the one typing the words that the guy on TV is saying. So I'm like, no way. Yeah. I'm like, I know she can't go past the second page of Google. So if she's the one that's putting this out there that people are listening to there, you know, anyone can do this. So that was like a realization moment for me. Then the William Mary track stuff was very big too. And I think those were kind of like the catalysts, if you will, that like led me to realize like, okay, there's a whole process to this. And like Mm -hmm. a lot of like, I mean, I had never thought about going on reality TV and I wouldn't have done it if it just didn't come through hinge, but then seeing that as an opportunity where it's like, okay, this will like start to get me out there a little bit develop kind of a bit of a personal brand where it's like, you know, if you were to look at my resume, normally it's like grad school, worked as a banker, like very serious stuff going on, you know, an untitled dating show, let alone F-Boy Island that creates this comedic personality. And so it's kind of bridging the, those two like very disparate worlds and kind of making an average of the two as how you come across publicly. Because I think like, your public personality and anything like, as you know, is very different than like who you are. And so it's all, you know, really a PR strategy. But I think for the beauty of like partnering with liquidity and like being there as the number one employee is like, I just get to be myself. And so it's like today, like some guy insulted me on the internet, like eight 30. And I had just taken pre-workout when I was walking in the gym. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go off on this guy. And then like everyone loves it. Like people like love when you're being yourself. And I feel like it's just the perfect opportunity to really like come in, shake some stuff up and not have to kind of represent this like traditional norm that like I would have had to had I gone to a CNBC or Fox business. And that's exciting that you, like you said, you can kind of act into what is organic to you. Mm-hmm. But I know that that was really funny that you said that. My friends Connor and Mike, you listened to their episode, The Water Boys, mm-hmm. and they, I don't know if you've seen The Water Boy TikTok, like they are crazy. They pop off on people and it's hilarious. And so I I can't wait to to go check out what you do because I love, I love <laughs> seeing like brands or people that are professional just like mm-hmm. pop off sometimes and in the nicest way i know i don't know if it's nice but it's, it's kind of nice to pop off sometimes yeah no it, it is and it's like the way i view it like we did this video a few weeks ago where i was slapping like this sticker with a qr code on the wall street bulls nutsack and yes, it's just I, like yes yeah and so it's like you take like these traditional you know things that know that it sh- should be sacred and no one should kind of screw around with and then you just do it and it's so entertaining to people because i think like a lot of how i view this role is like you have to go and be the person and say the things that other people want to be and to mm-hmm. say 
but they're not willing to because of their job. And then you just do it and it's entertaining for them, but you're also getting a point across. And I think like there's a lot like when I was reading our initial comments from the podcast that we launched last, I guess it was last Tuesday, our first episode, someone was like, I've never seen people go from being so serious and talking about very important things to being so immature. And I thought that was like 100% exactly what we're trying to do and just a great representation of it. You're like, thank you so much. You're right. They probably meant it as a jab and you're like, thank you. Yeah, it's like this is exactly the vibe we're trying to trying to wow. give across. Vibes are on. So this anonymous guy built an entire company basically off of financial shitposting. Yes. So, I mean, Incredible. historically, it's been just a meme page. And he, up until December of 2020, he was still working in the financial industry. And so then he decided, like, look, I'm making enough off of merchandise sales and advertising revenue that I can do this full time. So he started a newsletter in January of 2021 that since that's grown to about 103,000 subscribers. And then it historically, like now we're in the process of kind of taking an LLC, converting it to a C Corp, all these things to, you know, make it an actual business so that then we can hire more people because like when I joined, I basically didn't have an employment agreement or anything for the first few months. I was like, look, I know you're not going to fuck me over. We have the same vision for this. Like, we'll figure this stuff out, out down the road. So like, let's just get to work. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been doing for the past few months, have figured everything out formally. And then now we're really like a full-fledged company where I'm kind of in charge of the media stuff. He, uh, Lit, is uh, more in charge of the venture capital investing that mm-hmm. uh, that goes on. And so there's a bunch of different facets to the company. And we're only just going to, you know, keep growing and growing. And I think, like, we have this authentic voice that it's tough to find the right people to fit in. But we've done a good job, I think, identifying a few people that hopefully we'll be able to bring on board in the very near future and just continue to grow. Do you, um, do you know the Friday Beers guys? Yeah, I was on the phone, well, Zoom with them yesterday. So we actually, no way. We, we have a lot of interesting stuff going on with them. So some big news to come in the future, I think. Wait, that is so crazy. I had no idea. I just had an inkling to ask because I had Max Barrett on last week, two weeks ago. I uh-huh. think it was last week. And I don't know why, like this is all giving me Friday beers vibes. Kind of like, I mean, they kind of are doing the same thing. Like they just grew massively. They're growing their company. They're making hires. And just like our conversation right now, just seems like you guys would have so many synergies. And as a publicist, I'm like, must connect people. (laughs) And so it's like so funny that you guys are already working on something. So I like that. Exactly. Like what I was saying to them yesterday is like, we're on just the the edge, the verge, if you will, of this total shift in media that's going on. And so when you think about us, we have 1.5 million followers across like all accounts. I know they have a little over a million on their Instagram, but it's it's kind of like, you know, some people like to say, oh, like this is just a meme page. This is whatever. And what I always say to Lit is like, you know, in a decade when people are looking back on this and this is taught as a case study at, you know, the UNC School of Journalism or Columbia or Missouri, wherever, like then people will realize like the idea behind this and the Friday beers guys are the same because when you think about starting a business, you start a business and you grow it however you do. This, when you have a meme page, you have an audience of people who want to support you, who believe in your authentic voice and who follow you for a reason. And so it's like, we have this audience. So literally anything we do will be successful off the bat if we execute it properly because 
that that is the value and the beauty of just having an audience first when building a business. And so I think for us and Friday beers as kind of, I think in our own respective categories, like we have a lot of overlap with them in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, our followers and stuff as, sure. as they do with us. But it's, you know, it's not a complete, you know, if it's a Venn diagram, it's not one circle. But I think we both see ourselves as like these these meme, former meme pages that are just on the verge of becoming mainstream Massive, businesses. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see where it goes, but big, bright future ahead, I think. That is really, really cool. Um, just a little funny antidote here. When I was seeing this guy and you know that whenever you like start seeing somebody, I don't know, maybe guys don't do this, but girls do like, you know, I'll follow sports center, you know, so uh-huh. I can text them and be like, wow, like, did you see that Knicks game? Like, yeah, he worked in finance. You follow liquidity. That was crazy. Yeah, I did. And I got <laughs> so confused. I would like, I would see something that you guys posted and like, think it was like something you should say, like financially, mm-hmm. like something good to say. And it would just be like a shit post. And I, I don't know like what I would say. I would just send something that was like very clear that like I yeah. saw it and just copied and pasted it. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing? Like, are you just fo- like, are you copy and pasting liquidity to me right now? Like, yeah, I saw yeah. that one yesterday. And uh, <laughs> so that was like very confusing, a confusing time for me. Um, <laughs> so that That's hilarious. A little, I love that. A little funny there. But I just love how this is so your page is just so relatable to people. And so do you think that's why these posts do so well? Yeah, I mean, I I think what it is, is it's like it gives a voice to a lot of like, you know, during the day, like in any job, especially a client services job, you're just like dealing with so much shit from someone where whether it's like the client and but in banking, like law, any of these professional services industries, it's usually the people above you. And so it's so relatable because it's like, oh, my weekend just got fucked because this dick of a vice president is breathing down my neck, XYZ. And it's it's like to me, what the really funny thing about it is it's like finance is such a unique industry where it's like, you know, you take a bunch of like mid to late 20 year old guys in New York and they're making more money than they should be for the most part. And it's like, but you know, do they have time to spend that? And what are they doing with their free time? It's like, you're getting, you know, blackout drunk and just making horrible life decisions and just being an idiot for a few years of your life. And so I think this page is, it's, it's a great way for us to like make fun of that in, in a great way. Cause like both me and lit have obviously done that. And then I, I think it's just like, you know, the relatability, like for Friday beers, they call them like the horoscopes for men, basically. And yes. so like, yeah, and and they have more of kind of like a broader, like common man appeal where ours is more niche to like people in the financial industry or other professional services in major metropolitan areas. But I think it's just like giving a voice to things that you want to say, but you can't really do in, in a way other than a meme, mm-hmm. which I like, that's why I think memes are such a powerful medium of communication. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's a joke on the internet, but it's like, no, nah, it's, it's actually like something that it unites people. It spreads a message. I mean, there's so many layers layers to memes oftentimes like I, I remember seeing this one on mental health where it was it was just like all of these different deep layers about like wanting to see a therapist but not wanting to see a therapist and all these things and it's just like there's there's ways to do this with such powerful messages and, and kind of all facets of society that like that's the beauty of this it's gonna be so funny like when we have kids one day and they're in college and they open their textbook, it's probably not going to be a textbook. They yeah, open their <laughs> exactly meta. I don't know. They put a contact in their eye and they can see the textbook in the air. I don't know something bizarre. And it's going to be like a whole page on or not like a whole book on memes. 
Exactly. Because exactly. it's seriously a form of communication and it's it's just wild. Yeah, like w- whenever I'm like talking to some new girl, like I'll, I have like my saved memes on uh, on Instagram or on my phone. I'll like I'll send a few to like gauge the humor, and like if they don't get it, it's like okay, this isn't gonna work. But I, it's no like no way, it's, yeah, it's a great way to like understand someone too. And it's like you know, like the, I I honestly find like the more like niche weird ones, like oftentimes some of the ones I laugh at the most are like ones I don't understand. Like yeah. there's this page uh, like history memes or something where it's like oh like like this is what they did in Constantinople and like whatever. You I'm like, I don't get it, but that's funny to me. And it's just like shit like that where, you know, you want a little, it's it's like reality TV, basically. You want a little short break. You want something to make you laugh that's quick, digestible, and gets a message across. So like, I love it. I love it. Of course. I, I have that humor too. I love um, Sunny Side Up because yeah. mm-hmm. it posts like the most random things and they're, they shouldn't be funny. Like it, it should not be funny. And I exactly. just am in stitches and I'll send it like my sister and I have such similar humor. So I'll send it to her and she'll like die laughing. And then I'll send it to somebody else. Actually, I send it to like my friend group of girls, like five of us. And they're like, Jay, like you're the only one that gets this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Uh, oh, no, this happened the other day. Sorry, a little tangent, but I think it's funny that, that we're on this topic. Um, You know, like Carhartt hats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was something um, like a girl wearing a Carhartt hat. Oh, wait, I probably shouldn't say this. This is actually it, so bad it. now that I think about it. <laughs> but, oh, my God. It You've was gone like, too far. You got to say I've it. I've gone too far now. Um, it was something like a girl wearing a Carhartt hat. And they're like laying laying down pipes. And then there's like another girl. And she's and there's like getting piped. Versus like laying down pipes because <laughs> she like puts on yeah, the yeah. Oh, heart hat. And I like was dying laughing. At th- I thought it was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> this podcast is now explicit, everybody. Uh. And my friends were like, this is not funny in the slightest. And I'm like, you get it? Like, like people that wear car hat hats, like they're builders because they're like blue collar mm-hmm. people. Like that's where the whole came from. And they're like, what's blue collar? Like, what? What do you mean? Yeah, Why is she yeah, building yeah. things? And it's so funny. And it's so funny. It's so like, funny. Like the page, like Nolita Dirtbag, where it's like, I don't understand any of that shit. Like they're always referring to like some restaurant and then like these like very, very specific like niche things. But I laugh at it every time, not understanding the full context, just because I know it's so niche. It's like it's, you know, about like maybe like 600, 800 people or so that could actually like relate to that. But that's what's so funny about it. Love it. It's hilarious. So as to get on to a normal topic now, (laughs) as arguably the most successful financial counterculture company, how does PR play into what you do and how do you, I know we kind of already talked about this, like Mm -hmm. how you position your brand to engage your audience, but with liquidity, do you have kind of like a PR strategy or a way that like you do have a strategy to reach your audience. You're not just posting random shit, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I'm. I would say I'm in charge of like all the PR stuff as the public face, and so I've developed relationships with uh, some journalists, and so it's interesting because for us, like we're very much benefited from the fact that we are a proprietary news source on a lot of things. So it's like this, like this morning, this this website called Financial News, which I had never heard of, but they wrote this article and they're like, oh, the Centerview Partners analyst base salaries are going up to this, which I was the one who got that information from an individual who works there. We broke that last week. And so then Lit makes a meme of it. 
I reshare it and offer to fight them. And so it's nice. like, you know, I, some some publications will cite us, others won't, and then we'll call them out for it because there's no way that a Bloomberg, Fox Business, CNBC, they're getting the information for us. So like Goldman Sachs, there's this group of 13 analysts that broke this kind of, they, they took a survey last year of what their working conditions were. And like the median hourly week was like 95 hours that they were working. So oh, that got sent wow. to us. Yeah, right? So that got sent to us. We broke it. Then it becomes global news, obviously. And then no one's citing us. And so it's one of these things that for some media companies, they don't like to have a relationship up with us, like CNBC, because they're intimidated by us. And like, I love making them a public target. Like this morning, they tweeted like, who who do you nominate for the 2022 like disruptor awards? And I, uh, I quote tweeted, I'm like, I nominate liquidity to disrupt CNBC. And so uh, others like Bloomberg, we have a great relationship with. And so for them, like we always have breaking news. So like I just say to a few of the reporters I'm close with, like, hey, I want to come on on this day to talk about this thing and just get it going. And so it's all organic. But I think the benefit of having all of this kind of breaking information is something that a lot of other news sources in the financial industry don't have. So it comes very naturally. And I think now we're at a point where people want to write about us because we're so interesting and different. And it's like mm -hmm. for Bloomberg, you know, they, they write like X reality F boy Island star becomes head of PR and meme page, whatever the headline was. And so like shit like that's hilarious. Cause it just sounds so ridiculous. Like no yeah. one's ever <laughs> like, funny. it's just nuts. Like no one's ever done this stuff before. And like let and I see this vision. I, I mean, and people are starting to see it, which is funny and it's something that some people don't see. And they're just like, this sounds crazy because I'm not used to this. And I don't know how to like gauge this against anything else that happened. But like, that's how innovation works. And, and it happens. And so, you know, it's it's funny, because it's like, we try to get verified on on like Instagram, we get denied. And it's like, we got 60 articles, 70 articles, whatever. And there are like various PR people being like, you can pay us 20k to get verified. It's like, Literally. yo, I got it's like yeah. if it's your first child and like we might verify you. Yeah, it's like I got five fake accounts out right now of people trying to like create financial Ponzi schemes for people and you're not going to verify me like that. That seems like an issue on your end, but it's just like wild. So I think like the PR industry itself, it's like if I wanted an article in like, you know, Bloomberg, India, like I'm not going to pay someone money for that. Like I'll just get an article myself in the real Bloomberg. And so it's all been organic. And I think a lot of it is just like we have a very unique voice that's like unapologetic, but it's also somewhat serious when it needs to be. And so mm -hmm. it's the serious stuff that gets the news going. And I think what exacerbates like the effect of when we go kind of and hit mainstream news is the fact that we're so immature and kind of wild on the internet at times. And that's what I love the most about it. I think it's probably really funny to think about these like old retired finance men that just were like very regiment and strict mm -hmm. and like it was just very black and white and then they're thinking they're, they're seeing you like f-boy island disruptor yeah. <laughs> and it's probably like what is going on yeah no it's 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 hilarious and like one of the funny things about it was it's like i i kind of knew what my plan was for this and so i knew a lot of people that i had worked with were like what the fuck is this guy doing and like thinking I was crazy. And so it's like now we have enough public stuff out there that people start to see the vision. So it's like now I get texts from my former coworkers being like, hey, I see what you're doing. 
you know, I understand this vision, like best of luck with everything. And then it, now I have a lot of like the former partners I worked with following me on Instagram. I don't follow them back, but like they're looking at my stories and stuff like that. And it just cracks me up because it's like, you know, whatever the saying is, like first they think you're insane, then they get on your side, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, it's one of these things where I, I think because of this authentic voice that we have, because we're we're giving people not only entertainment, but also like factual things that there's this just massive opportunity that if done right, the same way as, you know, for Friday beers, there's so much great potential to really kind of grow this. And I mean, I think like I was never trained in media. I never took a class in journalism or anything, but mm-hmm. like I love reading books on the history of, of media. I mean, especially like and I'm, I'm not a conservative person, but I think Fox News is the most fascinating example of this where you have an organization that has like grown from essentially nothing in like the mid 90s to literally, you know, controlling how people think and creating mm-hmm. and sowing issues in a democracy. Like it is just wild, the voice of media and and the power that that people give media. So sure. I view this as it's like, OK, if you approach something with the right perspectives and kind of the right the right attitude about what to do with this power that like, I know we'll get to a point where it's like, we're breaking market moving news. And it's like, well, what do we do with that? How do we make sure that we're using that like for good and not to just like enrich ourselves. And so I think we've always kind of taken this mission of really being able to be a voice that helps the junior bankers to have better treatment. And that's Mm -hmm. like our number one mission right now. And then we just kind of keep it growing and growing and like, further than uh, be able to be a voice for more people who historically haven't been involved in finance, help more people make some money and just grow and grow and grow. And, you know, ultimately, I think we approach it from like an educational and an informational perspective and just really excited to see, uh, you know, where all that goes. It's really exciting. What's also super exciting is the podcast you mentioned big swinging decks. So can you, <laughs> can you tell us about that? Yeah. So our podcast is titled big swinging decks, which is a play on uh big swinging dicks. Uh, it was from nice. Michael Lewis's. Yeah. Stunts. And so it's from Michael Lewis's uh, like 1989 novel. And I remember telling my parents the name for the show. And my mom's like, I think that's too much. Like Mark, I think like you've lost it. And I was like, no, that's exactly what's going to make the show successful. Just watch. And when we were negotiating with like sponsors for the podcast, I remember we were pitching it to some people and they're like, no. uh-uh. And then we pitched it to one company, like we're able to negotiate a seven figure exclusive deal with them. And so like Whoa. we started off strong with it. And so that's before your podcast was even live. Yeah. That's and, and that's because we had this platform. By the way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the the largest podcast contract ever for new podcasters. And and all of that, though, is not because of me or because of lit as an individual. It's because of this brand that he's built. And so I think like that's the beauty of it, because it's like that gives us money to kind of fund the growth and operations of this company. So we have to kind of go out and take less from investors and, you know, maintain more control of this. But it's it's something that like, you know, I was expecting it to like do well. And then after the first week, I think we were the number four business podcast in the country, number 83 overall. And I'd always made the goal for it to be the part of my take of finance. And it, we surpassed part of my take in the first week. And so I think it, it shows that there's, you know, this audience out there who wants kind of a realistic take on certain things. And I view it as like, okay, this is this is more of a show that it, or a, a podcast that's kind of a narrative on Wall Street culture. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, I think, is kind of me explaining my own life story, because I know I've gone through all the stereotypical things that 
like a normal male on Wall Street does, where it's like, you know, you're working this intense job, you kind of lose sight of who you are as an individual, you think that your work is more important than other people's work, all these like normal things. And for me to explain that and to be a voice for that, I think is helpful. Like the amount we we had a mental health episode yesterday, which like I had never discussed in public, like a lot of the stuff that we talk about. And the messages that, you know, I personally got back, it was like, okay, this like was meaningful for a lot of people. And a lot of people were, you know, were very supportive, but also being like, hey, I was struggling with some of the same things. And you saying, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of about going to see a therapist, things like that. Like, that's been super helpful. And my dad's a military psychologist. My mom was an editor for the American Psychological Association. Oh, wow. Never did I think that I would be talking about seeing a therapist and that being helpful to people in my life. And I think that's like the power of this podcast, that we can approach certain topics that aren't discussed in a way that, uh, you know, is relatable, but also gets points across and hopefully creates change. That is incredible. And it's incredible that you have this platform to do that. And, oh, wow, there goes my voice. Um, <laughs> and I I think that's exciting because I learned this as a, a new podcaster is that Instagram followers don't necessarily mean active listeners to mm. a 30 to an hour minute podcast. And so it's really, really cool that your audience is like transferring over to that and super receptive to what you guys are discussing, um, which is super, super great for you guys. And I just want to know as we wrap up, what's next for liquidity? And uh, are we going to get a lit face reveal anytime soon? Yeah. So when I was on Bloomberg, I had uh, said that we we're going to start a kind of series of parties in the Hamptons this summer. And at one of them, we would potentially reveal lit. And so we, I mean, part of the hysterical part about this whole thing is like, he is just, a, he's an anonymous guy. We mask his voice on a podcast. And part of that is just like us being just hysterical. And now that he's not working in the financial industry anymore, he could reveal himself today if he wanted to. But I think we're just going to keep that running uh, for as long as we can make that entertaining. And ultimately, we're going to get to a point where he's going to have to do that. And that'll be on his terms, however we we do that. But, you know, at some point in the future, we'll reveal that. I think immediate plans will be we're going to launch another podcast that will be called Big Swinging Divas. And that will have two female voices who can talk about working in finance and in male-dominated work environments. And I think be able to give a voice to a lot of people that we can't speak to on our podcast, but really be able to kind of start a dialogue there that I think will be extremely relatable I kind of view it as like in, in the beginning of Call Her Daddy, when I think it was just Sophia who was working, but like, I thought that was super great that they were kind of talking about their workplace challenges. And obviously, like, with all the success they had, they didn't have to work anymore. Mm -hmm. But I think something that is relatable, kind of less pop culture focused, if you will, like, like your podcast that speaks to a certain group of people that mm -hmm. there's no really current kind of voice of, I think like, that's the whole goal for it then ultimately we'll we'll transition into kind of more of a television type show with different personalities whether that's over the top streaming or more linear to, if we decide to partner with a existing channel that'll mm -hmm. be something that I think will probably happen towards the end of this year or early next year on the venture side lit's actively involved he just announced a partnership with Bain Capital where he's going to work as a scout uh, searching for kind of these very early stage companies making investments because it's like running a meme page you get a, like our biggest strength in terms of advertisements is being able to create awareness and then convert that awareness to growth and users mm -hmm. for companies so there's a lot of opportunity out there but i really see a lot of live events in the future a bunch of partnerships we we just kind of 
sign a contract with a merchandise company that's going to help us really simplify a bunch of stuff on our back end and be able to do more things like that. We're coming out with a custom shoe that a loafer rather that will be uh, from del toro and it's going to be very entertaining once we reveal that one because it is a very unique design i'll say that and so yeah i mean that's where we're starting and just a lot a lot of room for growth in the future i think i think the other thing too that we're going to be working on is with this audience we have uh you know the the classic like pipeline is for someone to go be an investment banking analyst for two years after college then move into private equity and currently in the recruiting space, like these recruiters take like 50% of someone's base salary. They're they're paid for mm-hmm. placing this kid. And we're like, look, we literally every single kid who's gonna go through this pipeline from investment banking to private equity, we have. We might as well, you know, disrupt that and see where that goes. So we have a lot of ideas there and are in talks with various parties about what we can kind of convert that to. So it's a very exciting time. Very, very cool. Well, Thank you so, so much for coming on behind the media and chatting with me. Honestly, I can't believe that like we've talked for this long. I'm so <laughs> it's been a great conversation. Everything. That was really, really awesome conversation. And maybe we'll do another one one time if people like want the granular of yeah. finance. Because I I want the granular of finance. <laughs> finance. Yeah, help you make more jokes. Yes, exactly. That is what I need in my life. So how can <laughs> our readers find readers? What do I think the I listeners, am? Yeah, I know. I say I know. viewers all the time. I say now readers like I'm <laughs> on crack. Not I'm not on crack. So how can our listeners find you and liquidity? Yeah, so liquidity is litquidity.co for our website. And the Instagram account, then my Instagram is it's Mark Moran, and that's my username on Twitter, on TikTok, whatever. So those are the ways to do it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Wonderful. Thank you, Julian. I appreciate it. This is great. Behind the Media is a Red Rock Music podcast and is powered by ACAST. I'm your host, Juliana Martins. Our producer is Emma Martins. Our executive producer is Red Yoakum. For more, follow us on Instagram at Behind the Media Podcast. New episodes weekly available wherever you listen to podcasts. Come back next week for another look behind the media.